Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today and and all of the second half of this week. We're talking about generosity. We started yesterday. And uh, if you missed yesterday's broadcast, I want you to know you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557. Or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. And you can pick up the broadcast based upon the date on which it was aired. So uh, today we're continuing on generosity. And today I want to look at specifically generosity as it relates to relationships, okay? Uh, Generous relationships are built upon giving over to somebody else. And here's my bad dad joke to get us started, okay? The other day, I yelled into a colander and I strained my voice. Uh, Okay, that was bad, all right? All right, let's get on to something more interesting, okay? Generosity and relationship. When I think about relationships, forgiveness opens up floodgates of generosity. And I think there's three keys into having the floodgates of generosity open. Number one, there's got to be integrity, right? You've got to be honest when it comes to this matter of being generous, right? And number two, there's got to be humility involved in it. Jesus says, more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, if you're a grandparent, you know that on Christmas morning, or even if you're a parent, right? Uh, my wife and I have never really done a whole lot of gift exchange for each other. Uh, we've always uh, enjoyed watching our kids tear into their gifts and watch the grandkids to tear into, into their presents, right? I'm more blessed to give than it is to receive. We get more excitement, more charge out of giving than we do receiving. So there's got to be generosity involved. So integrity, humility, and generosity. What hinders us from being generous in relationships? We hang on to offenses. Don't hang on to an offense perpetually. Hang on to forgiveness perpetually. Isn't it amazing that we can have an offense and we constantly rehash it? And we almost like we have to go back, okay, I need forgiveness again because I brought it up, right? When we stop forgiving, we stop healing. When we start forgiving, we start healing. When we keep forgiving, we keep on healing. So don't hang on to offenses. You know, I was heartbroken uh, uh, this past week. I went back to visit a church that I was part of many years ago. Uh, And this church just celebrated their 35th anniversary. And so I went back to see some old friends. And one of the things that kind of was a sad part of the weekend is is some of the people that I knew and loved were not there. And so I asked about these people. I said, well, what about so-and-so? And I heard a couple of stories of those uh, who had, had been hurt and, and, and just stopped coming, and they're, they're hanging on to bitterness. Even close family members hanging on to bitterness, hanging on to an offense perpetually. Now, maybe you're listening to me today, and and you're hanging on to something, and you refuse to let it go. You know, you are living in sin. You are not nearly as godly or spiritual as you think you are. You are not spiritual by hanging on to an offense. Spirit-filled people are quick to release an offense. If you're hanging on to an offense, you're in essence saying, I am an immature believer, and I don't care how many times you go to church. You can be there every time the doors are open. If you're hanging on to bitterness and you're hanging on to resentment, you're an immature believer. You haven't learned to grow up. You say, well, you don't know what somebody's done to me. I don't need to know what somebody's done to you. 
because whatever they've done to you, you should forgive. You see, when we nurse and rehearse an offense, it doesn't get smaller. It gets bigger. I ran into a lady who was actually one of the Hatfields and the Hatfield and McCoys. Uh, She was the secretary at the previous church where I served. It was so good to see her. Uh, She's an amazing woman. She's now in her 80s. But she tells me about the family history and the Hatfields and McCoys, and they're not even sure what the major conflict was. Some people think it was uh, over a stolen pig. I are not sure what the conflict was. Nobody knows for sure exactly what it was, but because they kept nursing and rehearsing, uh, that feud has gone on, and now it is the notorious feud of the Hatfields and McCoys. But did you really want to live that way? Do you want to get to the end of your life? And people say of you, man, you lived in unforgiveness. So when we think about generosity in relationships, we must remember undeserved forgiveness is perpetual. We're in Luke chapter 17. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Now notice the word is not unconditional, it's undeserved. Undeserved forgiveness. Jesus says, Luke 17, 3, so watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Let's stop right there, right? Why does Jesus say, watch yourselves? Because when somebody sins against you, there is this propensity for you to become bitter. So Jesus says, you better watch it, right? Because if somebody has done something against you, the offense is not the issue. The issue is how you will respond to that offense. You can't help but from time to time, being offended by somebody. I think about marriage. I I don't know how many times I have offended my wife. I can tell you, it's been not just one or two times. You know what? She's offended me as well. So Jesus says, watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now, that phrase, watch yourselves, is a phrase given to the one who is called upon to repeatedly forgive. Now, if you are living in bitterness and, un- and unforgiveness right now, you have got to the point you said, I'm not forgiven anymore. You see, it's easy to become bitter when you have to forgive somebody. It's easy to become holier than thou. It's easy to become complacent or emotionally distant. It's easy to shut down when you have to repeatedly forgive. Many give up, many run away, many shut down. Relationships can break down and break apart when one party says, I'm over it. I'm tired of forgiving you. This relationship is over. That's why forgiveness is not unconditional. And that Jesus says, the erring one must be rebuked. It says, rebuke him. In other words, the offense must be clearly defined. It can't be hearsay. It can't be secondhand. It can't be somebody else's offense. To rebuke or to reprimand means to strongly warn. Be careful that before you rebuke, you've got the facts straight and that what you are confronting is truly a rebukable offense. How do I know something is a rebukable offense? If I can't explain it, I can't prove it, but I know what I feel, that that person is guilty, that is not a rebukable offense. Can I say this as respectfully as I know? 
If you can't explain it, you can't prove it, you're the one that needs to rebuke. You cannot base it upon how you feel. You know, sometimes I get bad feelings toward my wife, and I don't know why that happens. I mean, just out of the blue. I think the enemy does that to us. He will plant a seed of destruction in our mind, and we nurse it and rehearse it. Let's look at Luke 19 says. We're going to drop down to verse 37 through 40. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and began to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory to God in the highest. But then we learn some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if those should hold their peace, the stones would immediately begin to cry out. Now, we normally think of rebuke in a negative sense. Proverbs 27, verses 5 to 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, right? So Paul instructs Titus, as an overseer of the church, to speak, to exhort, to rebuke with all authority, implying that all three activities are of equal importance. Speak, exhort, rebuke. We know we should always encourage each other. We should speak the truth. But how do we know when to rebuke another believer? We rebuke another believer when a brother or a sister sins against me, offends me. Matthew 18. I'll look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, got to be sinning against you. Not, I, I think he did this. Or not somebody told me he did it. It's a direct sin against you. And I think so many people are walking around with bitterness is because they are fighting an offense that is not a real bonafide sin. They got their feelings hurt. Uh, so many times this happens in church, right? The church makes the decision. It's not a sinful issue. It's a difference of opinion. And because things didn't go your way, you come up with an offense and it's not a sin. If it were a sin, you would confront it. If you don't have the courage to confront a sin, maybe nobody has sinned against you. If your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately. Now, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen to you, take one or two others, saying that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So when we look at what Jesus is talking about here, we're to bear with one another We're to confront those who sin against us. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So when we stop forgiving, we stop loving. To say I won't forgive is to really say, I don't love you anymore. So the first generosity in relationship is giving undeserved forgiveness that is perpetual, right? That is ongoing. Number two, I am to give undeniable faith that is fanatical, right? Look at Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, 
increase our faith. The Lord said that if you have the faith of the, of the grain of a mustard seed and you say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, it will obey you. All right, generosity increases our faith. Generosity that is increasing always leads to a generous increase of forgiveness. Now, if you're going to be a generous forgiver, it's going to take a lot of faith. You see, when our faith begins to diminish, our capacity to forgive also begins to diminish. As our faith increases, we have the ability to have an increase in forgiveness. You are offering a gift to somebody, Jesus says, and that gift is not going to be well-received. One of the reasons it's hard for any of us to accept forgiveness is because in order to receive forgiveness, I must admit to a trespass. So Jesus says, if you have the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, by referring to a tiny mustard seed, after being asked about increased faith, He deflects our attention away from the quantity of the faith, and he directs it to the object of the faith. You see, rehearsing anger, rehearsing hurt, creates a bad habit, in that we begin to focus in the wrong direction. When we are constantly rehearsing hurt, we are focusing on ourselves. I rehearse thinking about me, how bad I have it, and how unfair my life has become. We rehearse the things that we want to get good at. Our worship team has rehearsal on Thursday evening. And throughout the week, I actually rehearse my sermon. I do that. Our worship team does that so that when we get to church on Sunday, we are well rehearsed. And it almost becomes second nature what we're offering in our worship. Now, anger is something that we don't want to rehearse. We don't want to become good at being angry, (laughs) we don't become good at being the victim. So instead, we rehearse God's grace that produces forgiveness. Your faith will grow. It will never rot if you do these three things. I'm going to spell the word rot for you, okay? If you want your faith to constantly grow and never to rot, letter R, read the word. Romans 10, 17. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's hearing the good news about Christ. We are saved when we are obedient to the good news about Christ. Our faith grows as we hear and as we read the Word. You know, when you think about reading the Word of God, reading it and allowing it to get within us, that's where we find liberty. That's where we find freedom. The liberty with where Christ has made us free. See, this liberty makes us free to heaven's character, to the Bible. When we look at this passage of being free, when you go through the rivers, you will be free. When the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but you will be free. You know, I've made it a practice to, um, uh, to read Charles Hazen Spurgeon's morning and evening devotion. I don't read it every single day. Uh, a couple years ago, I went through and And uh, I actually gave uh, that book, his morning and evening devotional way, to some of our listeners. Many of you called in and got a free copy of it, and uh, and so I gave it to uh, my church members as well. But Charles Haddon has a lot of insight into this matter of liberty. We are called to be set free. We've got to be in the Word in order to be set free. 
Liberty makes us free to heaven's chart of the Bible. And Charles Haddon's version goes on now. What I'm about to say, the language is like old uh, King James, so you're going to have to listen intently to follow what he's saying. But he says, this is a choice passage, Galatians 5.1. When thou passest through the rivers, I will be with thee. You are free to that. Here's another. The mountains shall depart, the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. You are free to that. You are welcome. You are a welcome guest at the table of God's promises. Scripture is never failing. It's a treasury filled with boundless stories of God's grace. It is the bank of heaven. You may draw from it as much as you please without let or hindrance. That means you're never going to exhaust the grace that God has for us. He says, come to him in faith. You are welcome to covenant blessings. There is not a promise in the word which shall be withheld. In other words, God's not holding out on us. Even in the midst of tribulations, his freedom of comfort is there. Even though the waves of distress may come over you, let the word of God cheer you. When sorrows surround you, find comfort in the word. This is God's love token. You are free. You are free to the throne of God's grace. It is our privilege as believers to have access at all times to the Heavenly Father. It doesn't matter how difficult our lives are. We are free. We are at liberty to spread them out all before Him. It doesn't matter how much you have sinned. We may ask and we may expect a pardon. As we think about God's throne at all times, in the darkest hours of the midnight, or in the noontime with the burning heat, we as believers in Christ have a wonderful privilege, and that is to go before God's throne, all made accessible through the Word of God. So that's letter R. Read the Word. You will never rot. Letter O would be if you obey the Word. James 1.22, but be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, the area of deception in our lives always revolves around the areas of disobedience in our lives. You know, I was talking to uh, one of my family members just very recently, and this family member has kind of gone off in the wrong track. And I'm trying to get this family member to turn around, and they don't seem to be getting it, right? And I said, well, you have burned your bridges with the family. And this person doesn't seem to understand how this has happened or why this has happened. And, and I finally says, you know, you have hurt a lot of people that love you in the family. And when I said that, this person began to tear up. All of a sudden, it hit them, the fact that they had hurt many members of the family by their destructive behavior, by their selfish maneuvers. James tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, up to that point, that family member heard a lot, but wasn't a doer of the word. When he became a doer of the word, he realized how much he was deceived. He had no idea how much he was hurting others because he was so consumed with his own selfish ambitions. In Genesis chapter 26, we see a promise that is given. 
It's a promise that is given to Abraham and his descendants. And God says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed and did everything I required of him. Keeping my commands and my decrees and my instructions. Oh, my friend, don't just be a hearer of the word. Obey the word. Oh, yes, God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham, making a promise that the descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But Abraham had an obligation to obey God in everything that God required of him. It says that he kept the commandments, kept the decrees, and kept God's instructions. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect, but it means that the bent of Abraham's life, the overall direction of Abraham's life, although he failed the Lord many times, Overall, he did what the Lord commanded of him. That was the pattern of his life. So, when you look at your life today, don't just hear the right things to do because you deceive yourselves. You actually must do it. Well, I want you to join me tomorrow. I'm going to give you one third point here, and then I'm going to ask you to join me tomorrow. But when we look at the letter T, we're spelling out rot. We've got to read the word. We've got to obey the word. And letter T, we've got to test the word. Now, I have searched scriptures all over to see what this means. Nowhere in scripture did I ever find a passage that tells us we should test God. Now, I see a lot of people putting God to the test. Now, there is one passage of scripture that we are told to test God. And it's one area of our lives. As a matter of fact, it's the one area that most people don't want to test God in. So if you are putting God to the test, I want to encourage you that you better be putting him to the test in this one particular area found in the book of Malachi, an Old Testament minor prophet, an amazing book. Test the word Malachi 3, 9 through 11. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. So here Malachi says, okay, this is where you can test the Lord, and he's quoting what the Lord says. It is in a matter of giving, specifically in a matter of tithing that we can test the Lord in that, that we give our tenth to the Lord by giving to our church. And as a result of doing that, there's a promise that is given. God will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough to store it. I want you to know, I am a personal example of how the Lord blesses a life if you are generous in testing the Lord in giving. God has blessed me so far beyond what I deserve. And it's because of his faithfulness in responding to this promise. I know maybe you're going through a hard time. You said, man, I can't test the word. I can't obey the word. I can't even read the word. What would you take home this one verse? James 1, verses 2 and 3. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, my sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
In other words, you're going to go through some trials. They're going to be multifaceted. They're going to hit you from every angle imaginable, and even some things that you didn't imagine. Consider it joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance produces hope. And hope develops your character. Oh, today, my friend, when the pressure is on you and you feel like throwing in the towel, would you look at the trial that you're going through as a joyful experience? Not that the trial is filled with joy, but that God is going to use that trial, many kinds of trials, to test you in your faith and give you that perseverance. You know, those who who make great endeavors on this world have always been those who persevered. Keep on hanging in there, even when you feel like quitting. It's too early to quit. Don't you dare quit. Hang in there, my friend. And if I can pray for you in these times of pressure in your life, shoot me a text message, 252-267-2365. Let me give you that number one more time, 252-267-2365. And I will pray that God will give you the strength to keep on pressing on. Thank you so much for joining me today. Join me for the final part of this message tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.